talking about following Jesus, and we really want to find out what that means. What does it look like to follow Jesus? Not not just Sunday morning, but every day of the week. What does it look like? How does that get worked out in our daily lives, in our attitudes, in our relationships, the way we handle money? Uh, where where do we see that worked out in our personal lives? I do want to welcome the people who've joined us by way of the internet. We're so grateful for you and for your part of uh, this worship service. Thank you for being part of our listening audience. And I hope that you'll download the listening guide. It's the same one we're using right here in our worship center at Eastside Baptist Church in Auburndale. Just follow right along with us as we study God's Word. One of the characteristics of Jesus' followers is that they worship God both publicly and privately. Private worship, that's the daily time alone with God. And we talked about that last week, uh, what that means to draw near to the Lord and hear from the Lord in your private, personal, devotional time. Public worship is when you gather with other believers to honor, praise, serve, learn, grow, give, and obey God. And we sometimes use these kinds of terms. We talk about corporate worship. Well, public worship is corporate worship. It's when the church body gets together and we worship together. It's sometimes just called a worship service. Sometimes it's called church service. Sometimes it's just called church. What are you doing? I'm doing church. And we're talking about public worship. The children sometimes call it big church. We have a children's church, but this is big church. And this is where we choose to worship God and to honor Him. So when most people think of public worship, they think of this public church service where people go to sing and to hear a message and then go home. And that's their concept of a public worship service. Jesus' followers, however, worship best publicly when their private worship is intact. So public worship becomes an overflow of their private time with God. So what does worship look like for a Jesus follower? Would you open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah chapter 6, we'll just look at the first eight verses together. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What does it look like for a Jesus follower to worship God? Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. The train is the edge of his robe. 
So the edge of his robe filled the temple. I saw the Lord, high and lifted up. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. You'll notice some things there, and we're going to look at some observations of this text in a minute, but I want to just point out that every time a, uh, an angel is mentioned in the Bible, it's a he. Every time, without exception, every time an angel is mentioned, it's always masculine. Every time they show up, it's always as a male. Isn't it interesting how in our culture, angels are always women? Um, they're depicted as women for the most part. But in the Bible, it's a masculine gender. In fact, even the word that's used for angel, angelas, is masculine. So, here we have an, a high-ranking angel who is involved in worship. Did you know the Bible teaches that angels are right now around us observing our worship so wherever you are we welcome you in the name of the Lord okay verse 3 one cried to another and said holy 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 is the Lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory and the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he'd taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. Send me. Well, there's some observations from this text, and many of you have asked me about these observations, and I go through them pretty quickly, so today I've included them in the uh, PowerPoint presentation. So here's some observations from the text. In verse 1 it says, that In the year that King Uzziah died... This is after 52 years in office, holding the office of the king, leprosy got the best of Uzziah. And he died in 739 B.C. Now, this is an event which caused Isaiah to worship. So I want you to notice this. Notice this observation that's coming up right now, there it is. Isaiah saw the Lord. We often get a clearer vision of who God is when 
we're mourning the death of someone significant. Isn't it interesting how God uses crisis events in our lives to show us who Jesus is? We get a much clearer vision of who God is. Our values are clarified. Our priorities are clarified. Sometimes loss can mean gain for us. And if you gain a vision of the King, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the universe, the Lord of life, if you gain a vision, then the death of anybody is very helpful to you. But notice the connection. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. If you lose somebody significant, it may be your best opportunity to see the Lord. To see Him at work in your personal life. God reveals Himself to Isaiah in this passage. God reveals himself to us when we seek him in worship. Isaiah was in the temple. Else he would not have seen what he saw. And it changed his life. Notice these observations. Verses 2 through 4. Seraphim are high-ranking angels. They were specifically charged with guarding the holiness of God. So they were surrounding the throne and they cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And he could have said it just once, but he said it three times for emphasis. God is holy, holy, holy. The Bible says the whole earth is a display case for the glory of God. It displays his power, his presence, his purpose, and his perfection. The whole earth, friends, is a display case for the glory of God. And when you're a worshiper of the Lord, when you are following Jesus and you're a worshiper of the Lord, you see His glory everywhere. You see it in a sunset. You see it in a bird flying. You see it in the clouds. You see it in the mountains. You see it in the rivers. You see it in His creation. In fact, the Bible says the whole of creation was given to us to reveal who God is. It is a display case of God's glory. If you're lost and you're blind and you don't see, then all you can see is evolution. But if you're saved and you're a Jesus follower, all you can see is creation by the hand of the God who created you. Isaiah said, this is the God I need to worship. The angels Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Friends, when you've got your eyes on the wrong thing, you will not see the glory of God. All you'll see is problems and difficulties and struggles and heartaches. That's all you'll see. But the whole earth is filled with His glory. 
it's a display case of the glory of God. Notice these observations. Verses 5 through 7. Isaiah saw himself. We get a clear understanding of who God is. We also get a clearer understanding of our own sinfulness and our need for cleansing. Notice what Isaiah saw. He saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe, the edge of his robe filled the temple and the whole place was filled with smoke representing the presence of God. And he was overwhelmed and the first thing that hit him was, I'm a sinful man. Friend, the presence of God is not going to make you stand up with a silly grin on your face waving your arms in the air. The presence of God, if anything, is going to make you bow your head and get on your face. The presence of God reveals to us, oh, what a sinful man I am. You remember Peter in the boat when he encountered Jesus and he saw this huge miracle and he realized who Jesus was and then all of a sudden he was gripped and he said, oh Lord, I'm a sinful man. When you're aware of the presence of God, you become instantly aware of your own unworthiness to be in His presence. I'm a sinful man. Woe is me, for I'm undone. (laughs) What Isaiah realized was, if God does what He should do, I'm going to be in dust and ashes. God has every right to judge me right here on the spot. I'm unrighteous, I'm unholy, I'm unloving, I'm unforgiving, I'm selfish, I'm a liar, I'm a cheat, I'm a thief, I'm all of these things, and here I am standing in the presence of the Holy One of the universe. I'm undone. I'm undone, he said. But notice the Lord's response. Somewhere. (laughs) Okay. We're in verses 5 through 7. Isaiah confessed and repented. He said, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. When our lips are unclean, guess what? So are our hearts. You know what Jesus said? He said, it's not what goes into you that defiles you, it's what comes out of you. For out of the fullness of the heart a person speaks. What your words reveal is your true heart condition. By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Isaiah confessed and repented. True worship will often bring us to a place of confession and repentance. I have no doubt that if the presence of the Lord were known here this morning, we wouldn't be sitting comfortably. We'd probably be on our knees crying out to Him. True worship 
will bring us to that place of confession and repentance. I'm a man of unclean lips. Notice that Isaiah didn't say, well, all these people around here, they're the problem. It's all of them. It's their fault that I'm in this situation, and it's them. What did he say? I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. Notice, he took personal responsibility for his sin. He confessed, you are holy and I am sinful. He didn't blame everybody else for his predicament. He said, I'm in need. The only only appropriate response to a holy God is one of confession and repentance. Please notice, Isaiah received forgiveness and cleansing. Listen to the verse again. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Listen, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. You know, as a preacher, I look at a passage of Scripture and I automatically think about it in in an outline form. For instance, I see confession followed by cleansing followed by commission. I see woe, low, go. It just pops out. And this particular passage of Scripture, it just flows right into worship. But notice what happens here. There is an interaction between Isaiah and the holy God that he's worshiping. And Isaiah becomes aware of his sin and he confesses before God. And God responds immediately by cleansing him. This has touched your lips. He went right to the place where the sin was confessed. This has touched thy lips. Your iniquity has been forgiven. Your sin has been purged. And right after the confession comes the cleansing. And right after the cleansing, guess what? God says, who am I going to send? And Isaiah, whose heart has been cleansed and is open to the leading and calling of the Holy Spirit, says, Hereby, send me! He went from woe to go. And you know, God can do the same thing in your life. You may be miserable today, and I got great news. In an instant, when you have a vision of the Holy God, the present King in your life, the Savior, the Forgiver, the Cleanser of your life, the One who will touch your lips, when you have that vision, you can go from woe is me to let's go serve Him. It is the appropriate response to the God of the universe. Woe. 
low. Go. So Isaiah is commissioned by the Lord. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Do you notice a reference to the Trinity there? Who will go for us? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is involved. The Holy Spirit is involved. The Son is involved. And He says, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, hey, I'm here. Send me. Too often in the church today. Hey, we're here. Send them. Hey, I'm here. Send him. That's what Moses said. Remember? Here I am right in front of you, God. Send him. But when you've had a vision of the king and you realize what he has done in your life, he's cleansed your sin, he's given you forgiveness, he's poured out his grace, he's filled you with His Spirit, you want to serve Him. And you will push people aside in order to serve Him. You'll say, hey, here am I. Send me. Friend, when your heart is right with God, nobody can stop you from serving the Lord. You are possessed with a passion to serve the one who's done so much for you. And I fear that so many people in the church are not willing to serve because they've never had a vision of the King. They've never been cleansed. And so they're still in the position of woe. Isaiah responded out of a heart full of gratitude. He responded to God's call. When we worship, when we hear God's call to service, we should respond like Isaiah. Here am I. Send me. Some practical things for the follower of Jesus. Let's break this down and get serious and get practical about it. You've heard the text of Scripture, but now what do we do about it? Here's some practical suggestions for you if you're following along. First of all, first blank, be intentional about worship. Be intentional about it. You're intentional about going to Disney World. You make plans and preparations. You're intentional about it. You make plans and preparations. So why don't you make plans and preparations to worship? Worshiping the God of the universe. Make plans. Make preparations. Make it a priority. Instead of saying, well, if I don't have anything else to do, I might go to worship today. You forget who this is we're worshiping. You've forgotten what he did for you. I don't know how you could. 
But some people just kind of fall into a spiritual lethargy and they forget all about what Jesus Christ did for them, shedding His blood. Oh, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. They forget about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that cleanses us from sin. They forget about it. And so worship is not a priority. But for the follower of Jesus Christ, it is a priority. You plan for it. That means on Saturday night, you're thinking about what do I need to do to get ready for worship. You don't allow other things to intrude into the priority of worship. Because you're deeply grateful for what God has done for you through the blood of His Son. You're so deeply grateful that your sins have been forgiven. That you have eternal life and a home in heaven. You're so deeply grateful that you'd never miss a service. So it becomes a priority. You plan for it. You prepare for it. And you prioritize it. That's a practical thing that we need to do. So can I ask you, what is your Saturday night routine? What do you do to prepare yourself for worship? If you say nothing, then I guarantee you, you're not getting anything out of the worship service. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself by reading Scripture. Prepare yourself by laying out your clothes. Prepare yourself by setting the alarm and getting up when it goes off. Prepare yourself by eating properly and getting plenty of rest. Prepare yourself for these things. You prepare yourself for the things that are important in your life. So that's the first practical step. Be intentional about worship. Number two, prayerfully approach public worship as a time for you to seek God. Prayerfully approach. Those are the words that go in the blank there. Prayerfully approach public worship. I wonder what would happen in our worship services if everybody that came through these doors sat in a pew prayerfully saying, oh God, I'm here today for you and I'm seeking you today and I want you to speak to me and I want you to lead me and Father, I've got burdens I need to give to you today and Father, I've got prayers that I want to pray to you today and oh Father, I've got praises I want to give you today. And what if you came into this church with that kind of an attitude instead of, well, ho-hum. Wonder what he's going to preach about today. Hope I can squeeze in a nap. <laughs> Maybe not today. You hear what I'm saying? Y'all know this is true. You prayerfully come to worship, you're prayed up. My wife and I have the habit. We have a 16-mile journey from door to door. And so we get in the car and we pray. And we pray every mile. 
every mile. And we pray about you. And we pray about this service. And we pray about that stinking computer. We pray about Miller leading the worship. We pray about our small group Bible studies. We pray for protection. We pray for the moving of God's Spirit. We pray for your hearts to be prepared. What if you joined us in that prayer? What if you were and on your way to church, you were praying, Oh God, I'm seeking you today. I want you today. I need you today. I'm opening my heart to you. What if you were praying prayerfully before you came into the service? What difference would it make in this service? I'm telling you, if every person in this place was prayerfully entering into this worship, you would have your breath taken away by the presence of God. But we're so careless about public worship. Can I tell you why we're careless about public worship? It's because we don't have any consistent private worship. Yes, following Jesus is about worship. Prayerfully. Prayerfully approach public worship. You know, most of us spend more time in front of the mirror, making sure our hair's right, our jewelry's right, making sure the belt's not too tight. We spend all this time in front of the mirror and no time in front of God. Is it any wonder that our worship services are just dead wood rather than a blazing fire? Number three, think of worship as a stage where we are the actors and God is the audience. Think of worship as a stage where we are the actors. That's the first blank. We are the actors. And here's the second blank. God is the audience. You sing to Him. You pray to Him. You listen to Him. You give to Him. You surrender to Him. You see, it's all about Him. And so if I prayerfully approached public worship and I realized I'm really not here for me. I'm here for Him. It'll change your perspective about why we do church. He's the audience. We're the actors. I'm sure he's scratching his head right now saying, what is my preacher doing right now? <laughs> he knows. I think, I think he's pleased with the passion. But you know, I want him to be more than pleased. I want him to be glorified. I want him to be honored. What if all of us took our Sunday morning responsibilities as being done unto the Lord. 
So I'm teaching a Sunday school class. Not for me, but for him. And I'm encouraging people. Not for me, but for him. Thank you. (laughs) I guess I need this right now. For those of you who are listening, I just pulled out my handkerchief. But what if we did all of these things for Him? What if we did the food bank for Him? Right? I mean, mean, honestly, some days you're just too tired to do food bank. Some days you're just too tired to come to church. And sometimes you're just too tired to teach that class. But if you're doing it for Him, it's an amazing thing that happens. So we realize that He's the audience. We're the players. We're the ones who are here for Him and we are giving to Him our worship and we're giving to Him our praise and our prayers and our preaching. We're giving to Him our response. That brings us to number four. Respond to what God is saying to you. That's the blank. Respond to what God is saying to you. That is, you confess what you need to confess. You accept God's cleansing and forgiveness. You forgive other people as God has forgiven you. Then you do what He tells you to do. Because if you're in the presence of the Lord and you're worshiping Him and you're expressing your heart to Him and you realize that you're here for Him and you're doing all of this because you've prepared yourself and planned for it and you've prioritized for it and your approach has been prayerful, you've done all these things and you come before Him and He cleanses you and forgives you and you realize that I'm promising you this, He will have a commission for you. He'll say, who am I going to send to teach that young people's class? Who am I going to send to play that piano? Who am I going to send to serve in the food bank? And who am I going to send to minister in this community? And who am I going to send to sing praises to me? Who am I going to send? And every one of us would be jumping to our feet saying, Send me! He has so much more that he wants to do. So much more. And he can take the most difficult, discouraging, dark situation and put his hand on it and all of a sudden it starts glowing with possibilities and opportunities. He puts his hand on it. He transforms it. And that difficulty now becomes an opportunity. His grace shows up. His mercy shows up. His Holy Spirit energizes us. And all of a sudden we're doing things we never thought we could. All because... As a Jesus follower, we had the priority of worship.
It's about seeking God in our personal lives. Would you join with me as we pray together? Uh-huh.